Welcome back to Good Muscle Hustle Radio. Thank you for joining. Thank you for listening. Make sure to like, share, download, all that good stuff. On this episode, I have Ben Yans. Um, I met Ben this year at RTS in Oklahoma when we were both um, going there to see Tom. Super awesome guy. He's the biomechanics man. He's got over 100,000 followers on Instagram. Um, There he... Uh, has his own courses where he kind of educates on the basics of biomechanics and physics and, in my opinion, has a very sound understanding of those things to create fluidity between exercise and living a pain-free life while doing so. Um, I'm super happy to bring Ben on the podcast, and I hope you guys enjoy. Hello, motherfucker. What up, dude? <laughs> uh, how's it going, Ben? It's going great, Broski. I just actually got done with uh, as I mentioned to you, uh, Ethan and I, I had started that podcast. We just got done with like a two hour, a two hour banger. Damn. Well, I don't know about banger, but <laughs> it was it was the best we can do with our current abilities. So we did we did we did record for two hours. So hell yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, how about you? Though? How's everything with the gym? Good, man. Things are things are going. It's uh owning a gym definitely has like its perks, but also like trying to figure out, you know, that the bit the it's like the business side of running a gym that's mm-hmm. not as fun. But yeah. it's good. Everything's good. Yeah. All right. That's good to hear, man. Um yeah. I noticed you have a guitar in the in the uh the background. Do you do you play? Every once in a while. <laughs> you shred? <laughs> I'll shred every now and again, yeah. Actually, I, I played a lot of guitar when I was in high school. And then um, after that, like once I got into the whole fitness thing, it like consumed like all my time. And so yeah. like recently I've I started taking lessons again just to like have one thing that I do that's not like mm-hmm. muscle fitness related. Yeah, I, I, I actually find that like I actively have to force myself to do other things because if not, I just default to like, where can I continue to progress in this one specific domain? So um, yeah, it is kind of funny how we've had to kind of force ourselves away from fitness in these ways because most people have the opposite problem, you know, yeah. where, it's, where it's like, I kind of look at it like uh, we we are not in a position to answer the question of like, how do you become disciplined, you know, in, in the weight room? It's like, "Eh, I don't really, you know, it's kind of like, I actually have to be disciplined not to go to the gym. So I'm like, I'm like the last person (laughs) to be asking this question too. Yeah, for sure. Like on the weekends, I, I used to have a, I'd have a session on Saturday. And so I'd, I'd go into the gym and then because I'm there, I'm like, okay, well, maybe I'll get a little workout in and then I'll do like some, maybe some programming stuff. And the next thing I know, it's like two on Saturday on, on like my potential (laughs) day off. And I'm like, fuck. So I try to like, if I do go for a workout, it's like, all right, I'm going to get in there. I'm going to do my workout and I'm going to fucking leave. Otherwise I just stay. Yeah. Yeah. It's a challenge, man. Yeah. But I mean, I think it's, it's nice to have that though for for us to be like, to be so passionate about something, you have to actually like physically pull yourself away from it. Yeah. 
but I'm I'm with you. Trust me. <laughs> um, so I have, I have kind of a structure that mm-hmm. I'll go through, and then I feel like we can just find our way through there cool. pretty easily. Yeah. Roll with the punches. Um, right on. So, uh, first, welcome to the Good Muscle Hustle podcast. Thanks for being here, taking the time. I got the yeah, the biomechanics man himself, Ben Yans. Yans. Okay. We'll Yans. Go with that. Yeah, we'll go with that. Did I say that wrong? <laughs> however, however you want to pronounce it, Alex, is it's fine by okay. me, man. Okay. Um, so welcome to all the listeners out there. Ben is, I would say, I and, and again, I'm not like super on social media, like like actively searching for people, but I would say you're like the biomechanics man right now on IG. Pretty cool. Yeah. Pretty honored. fucking sick. Honored to have <laughs> honored to have the man title there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Ben, um, and I'm just I'm saying stuff so you can, you know, call me out on some shit. But I would say like on the education side, biomechanic wise, physic wise in the gym, like you're just you're paving a way in the what I would say like on the online social media platform ish thing of like just very um like unbiased information of like hey like this is biomechanic stuff this is how things work and then make better decisions based on that stuff and I, and that's like it's a it's a relief to see it because i'm i mean you know how social media is it's just so much shit out there and um it's nice to have something or uh, someone like yourself out there like a post pops up and i'm like ah oh, yeah that's that's nice. <laughs> well, no, I, I, I appreciate that. And I appreciate the notion and, and you having me on. Um, I think that I, I kind of stumbled into this somewhat accidentally. Um, you know, I've been a trainer for years now and, um, uh, I, I sort of slowly, uh, creeped into the biomechanics realm, not necessarily, uh, at first, um, for personal training per se, but more so from a, uh, a, like a selfish standpoint. I think that's how most people get into most things. I was constantly hurt. Couldn't figure out why, you know, my, 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 my body was hurt all the time. And I was tweaking a pec every third week. Cause I was bench pressing and, you know, all the, all those mm-hmm. kinds of things maybe we'll get into, but, um, I, I definitely have, um, enjoyed the process of trying to navigate social media in a way that, um, is, you know, attention grabbing to the degree that is necessary, but not so much so, so that the information that I provide is, is taken away from or, or made into something that I'm not intending it to be, which is a very tough balance to strike. And I think when I was initially starting out, uh, you know, at least growing in some popularity on Instagram, I fell into the trap. Um, I still probably do from time to time of just trying to, you know, get more likes and get more clicks and get more shares for the sake of maybe some lack of nuance and some lack of context. And, you know, I still think that there's an element to that that is essential given the medium. I think that people who um, criticize it um, from the perspective of, you know, you, you, you can't be so you, you can't be generalized. You can't make absolute statements. I think there's a time and a place to actually just put your opinion out and, and um, say what you think and, you know, deal with the backlash and deal with the counter arguments as they come. 
Um, I don't, you know, I'm not afraid of that. Um, and, and I think that people generally who stay far away from that are, you know, maybe they're just in a different sort of realm. Maybe they're, you know, in, in the research specific realm, uh, you know, maybe they're just uncomfortable with putting their opinion out in a way that is, is very publicly available. Um, uh, but I, I still think that there's a balance to be had there where I think that, you know, providing some degree of information, but also providing it in a way that is entertaining and potentially funny and memeing and, you know, all that stuff. I think people generally end up when they're on social media, taking themselves way too seriously. And that's how you end up, uh, you know, going down rabbit holes that are just total waste of your time. And I, I think it's been something very fun to navigate. Uh, and I think I've, I've struck a decent balance, but I could still probably be doing a better job as, you know, I, I think I can in every other area. So it's been fun. Right on, man. Yeah. Um, before we get into the social media stuff, um, just a few questions for, you know, anyone that is listening that doesn't know you or maybe hasn't stumbled upon you yet. Um, where where are you from? I know you're, you're in New York. Are you from New York? So um, I am technically adjacent to New York. I, I usually say I usually tell people I'm from New York because everyone knows it. Um, but I'm technically in Jersey City, which is in New Jersey, right across the Hudson, okay. um, pretty much set just uh, west of Manhattan. Um, I grew up in New Jersey. I lived in New Jersey for 21 years, basically. And then when I moved out uh, after college, I moved into New York briefly for a year. Um, hated actually living in the city. I just could not tolerate the constant smell and chaos uh, and and noise. So I moved back out to Jersey and I've been here for a good little bit of time and I just commute in and out. It takes me probably a half hour via train. So yeah, I'm in New Jersey now and I was born in New Jersey. So for those of you Jersey okay. haters out there, um, you know, do you deal with it, I, I guess. <laughs> uh, so I, I think I was either watching a story or I don't know, maybe I stumbled upon a post or something, or maybe I was on like one of your live um, Q and A's. Um, and you kind of mentioned in the beginning of dealing with your own physical aches and stuff. Um, did you, with like personal training around that, did you start was kind of the lead into your biomechanic thing more led by like the, I don't want to say like physical therapy side, but like kind of like the rehab ish fixed pain in yeah. the beginning. Yeah. Right so my, my introduction to lifting weights, I think like many people was, um, because of sport, you know, I played football my whole life. And so I was started lifting in high school, 13, 14 years old, not really seriously until basically the end of high school. And, you know, after I graduated high school and I didn't have any sports to play because I wasn't good enough to continue playing sports, I transitioned into, uh, to, to powerlifting, uh, like the, you know, most yeah. pseudo sport of all time. So, um, yeah, basically like if anyone who has ever uh, been involved in powerlifting, been around powerlifting, been a powerlifting coach or an athlete themselves, they know that like injury rates are like fairly high, you know, like people cite yeah. metrics from studies and I'm like, eh, I don't really buy into how low, like just based on personal experience and anecdote, like injury rates in powerlifting are powerlifters are in constant discomfort. And so that's where I started. And, 
you know, I was always troubled as to like why I just thought something was wrong with me. I thought that I needed this special modality or that. So I, I, like you said, I started all this stuff getting into this stuff because I was continuously hurt and um, I wanted to look into different rehab models. And I, you know, dove super, super deeply into like it, probably three or four or five of them at least um, and, and went down all those rabbit holes. And eventually I just, you know, sort of continued to run my head into the wall because the, the, the model that really works in terms of um, selling to powerlifters and specifically powerlifters who have like somewhat of an idea of what they're doing. And they also want to kind of seem like, uh, you know, a lot of this stuff isn't like as simple as it actually is, which I'm sure we'll talk much about. Um, but, uh, you know, powerlifters create these problems for themselves. And this is, you know, how a lot of markets work. So I understand powerlifters create these problems for themselves because of the nature of the sport and physical therapists and specifically physical therapists who pay attention to, or are themselves powerlifters, they create these models for like, okay, the reason that you're having pain has nothing to do with the movements that you're doing, but your physical uh, um, abilities and your biomechanics and, you know, the, whether or not you can move your scapula and rotate your humerus and your femur, uh, this specific amount of degrees, right? There basically are these, are these issues that are created by and large as, a, as products of the motions themselves and, uh, of loading management and, and volume management of the motions themselves that then get imaginarily solved through these modalities that are just, really doses of novelty I've come to realize, uh, or I came to eventually where it was kind of like in, in sort of more simple terms, it's like, I was fucking myself up during the lifting portion of my day. And then I was investing in the rehab stuff and I was introducing just enough, like normal stimulus for me to feel a little bit better. And that cycle is a vicious cycle that people get stuck in because over and over, they just go back and forth. And this is what happens with regular lifting. A lot of times too, I say regular, just in terms of like hypertrophy training, Right. where people buy into these models because they introduce some degree of novelty and they work, I think oftentimes for the reasons and they allow people to feel better, which is somewhat valid in and of itself. Um, they work a little bit better, not because of, you know, the specific biomechanics of the interventions or anything like that, but simply just because it's, it's a different kind of stimulus and it sort of creates a perturbation in the system that may allow people to actually feel better in one way or another. So that was my introduction. And I was stuck on that for I don't know, probably a year or two years or more before I moved on to the more quote hypertrophy specific stuff, which is really just appropriate mechanics stuff. So that's kind of my starting place. Yeah. Nice. Uh, where, so when you talk about like you dove into like four other things, where did you first start to get your like education or that quest into, you know, that physical therapy rehab realm in the beginning? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I was introduced to, I think the first model that I really dove super deeply into was the, the PRI model, which is PRI stands for postural restoration Institute. Okay. Uh, it's, yep. it's, it's basically, it's a, it's a model that's been around for a very long time, but it's a very specific, it's a very specific rehab based model that powerlifters have basically appropriated for the sport of powerlifting. And there now exists this whole market that is basically like the PRI powerlifting market. Um, mm. so a lot of power lifters actually use this rehab model, which is mostly like a breathing based, uh, intervention model. 
And so that's kind of where I started. And within PRI, there are a bunch of people who take specific PRI techniques and kind of either create their own separate idea or model, uh, or just they sort of combine different rehab models. Like there are other uh, models that I looked into, not quite as much, but um, Bill Hartman uh, is, a, is, a, is a name that comes to mind who he, he created this model. It's called the expansion compression model that uh, was is sort of very adjacent to the PRI model. A lot of it is like breathing related stuff. Um, but, you know, you have all your other stuff like traditional, you know, the FMS model, FRC, like all these stuff, all these different kinds of interventions end up doing very similar things, at least in my experience, which is um, end up just taking people away from um, the same kinds of stresses that they're 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 used to. And so uh, PRI was really my introduction. And like I said, I went through a bunch of names that were sort of adjacent or, um, you know, neighbors, I guess you could say of that model. Um, but I was basically heavy into the, a lot of the breathing based interventions for the vast majority of my first couple of years, like learning biomechanics and the skeletal muscle stuff, the, the more basic physics based stuff, that stuff sort of came, uh, later on when I was introduced to Tom and, and RTS, um, as well as some of the other, you know, names that are basically descendants of, of Tom, uh, uh, in the industry, specifically this, the sort of social media sphere. Um, so that was kind of the transition The the total time between when I was like really introduced to things and when I started to pay a lot more attention to the specific stuff I'm doing now was probably, a, probably like two, two and a half years between when I started and when I really got into that stuff. And that was however many years ago now, um, I've lost you know, track of time, but that, that whole process probably started in like 2017, 2016 initially, uh, and just kind of continue to evolve, um, you know, from there into what it is, whatever you would call it now. With, uh, all those things, uh, I think, I think Joe has said this before is where I get it from of like all these other bodies of education. There's always like droplets that you take and then the rest is kind of, um, what do you say? Kool-Aid. Mm -hmm. Did you, did you find like in most of those, like I, you said, like there's like correlations between all those things, you know, there's like bits and pieces that are, like are somewhat like the same concept, but essentially a lot of them, it's like, okay, there's a few pe there's a piece there. There's a piece there. There's a piece there. And then a yeah. lot of the other stuff is kind of like Kool-Aid. Yeah. Or was there something that you that you did do, and you're like, wow, like that stuff really helps, or maybe there's a a, a large portion of it that you you maybe still take with you, or if I'm making yeah. any sense there? Yeah, yeah, I think it's really, I think for a long time, I yeah, you, you ever heard the concept of like especially as it relates to social media, whenever, whenever you see someone do something or say something or, or present a certain behavior that you don't like, it just like you, 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 you hate the person for no reason. You hate the idea of the thing for no reason or seemingly no reason. The idea is always kind of like, well, if I don't like this thing that I'm seeing outside of me, then there must be something inside of me that I'm almost seeing as like a reflection type of thing. Yeah. Uh, for a long time after I kind of moved on from some of the, you know, quote, moved on from the, some of the rehab based stuff, um, I really got pissed at people just like having, you know, sitting their clients down and spending 20 minutes with them breathing and working on internal and external rotation and cars and mobility. And I, I recognized that like I was just seeing a, a, a previous, more ignorant version of myself in all of those people. 
And so for, for the longest time, I was like resentful about like feeling like I had wasted my time and feeling like I had just spent all this time on these models for no reason. And, you know, I don't use any of them specifically now. So like, why were they helpful? But the more that I thought about it and specifically as it relates to the kind of question you're asking, which is like, essentially like, what is the value of those things now to me? And, um, you know, where would I sort of be without it? And, you know, I don't think there's an answer to the second part of that. Like, I don't know where I would be if I hadn't started there. But all that I do know is that all of the things that I've ever done, studied, you know, sort of have to mush together in this amalgamation of what is now, you know, my, what you could call my model or my paradigm. And so it's very tough to identify in terms of like my ability to now problem solve what comes from what, because to me, it's all just like you're adding pieces to the same puzzle, but you don't really know which pieces are doing what they're all just sort of parts to the same whole. So, you know, I later came to not really regret having spent that much time, uh, you know, looking into the things that I looked at, because I think I really started, and, and maybe this is part of why I feel like I've been decent at uh, learning and interpreting information is because I think I started in a very non-traditional way. I don't think most people start learning mechanics and physics um, by starting with, you know, something like breathing. I don't think that they usually start outside of a textbook. They don't usually start at this like weird model that like people yeah. who have been into this stuff for years look at. So um, I, I don't quite know what the influence of that was other than just that all of the mechanics stuff was actually, I think, initially for me, much simpler to learn and, and identify and interpret, I think, because of the stuff that I was previously tasked to learn, which in many ways to me was also very weird. It was like, why am I like learning about the function of the diaphragm and the zone of apposition of the diaphragm? And like, so, you know, I, I think that I, I look back on it fondly now. And a couple of years ago, I think I would have looked back on it angrily, but I think that's still part of what kind of motivates my drive to get people to see these things is because so many people I know are coming from the same place that I once was coming from. Um, and I just kind of want to help expedite that process of like getting people to a very hyper relevant place as fast as possible in terms of their learning. Nice. Awesome. So did, with all that stuff, did it become was it more of like, man, it, it was it a constant, like a constant quest for you w with working with people of like, man, I'm doing this breathing thing for 20 minutes. And like this person still like kind of, you know, like I'm not fixing this fucking problem that yeah. led you into this more like biomechanic. Like how can I actually like do something versus having someone breathe on a table? Yeah, I think for the longest time, my assumption was that if there is a an exercise or a motion that this person can't do without some degree of discomfort, then the problem is them, it's not the exercise, right? And I don't know exactly why or when that transition from blaming the exercise happened. But then I was like, wait, we could actually just not have to do any of this crap if we just looked at the thing that they were doing in the first place. And we started correcting the thing that they were doing in the first place to then, you know, and like, I haven't had, you know, and of course everyone wakes up some days and they're like, uh, you know, a little tight here, a little pain there, a little, little bit of misalignment and this or that. And the next day it's an ache, but like, I haven't had any degree of pain in pretty much anywhere 
for years and years. And, you know, Ethan, you know, my, my training partner yeah. um, used to basically uh, have either physical therapy or manual um, manual therapy done uh, every single week, like pretty much as he was getting into his bodybuilding career. And it wasn't until like he and I started training together that he basically was able to now and I mean, not for for several years, but he's eliminated any form of physical therapy or manual therapy since, you know, we just looked at his exercise stuff and, and corrected for it. And he's someone who's doing it at, you know, the highest level. So my assumption right. is that if we can do that at the highest level, uh, we can do it at the, at the lowest level as well. Um, whatever the lowest level, you know, what whatever <laughs> we're calling that gen pop training, um, but hopefully maybe that answers that. I'm not, I'm not really sure exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, my other question was, which you kind of answered, um, how long have you been working with people and that, uh, what did you say? 2017, you say 2016, 17. Yeah. So I started working, I would say I started coaching, like coaching, coaching. My first exposure to that was actually in college. Um, which was not that long ago. I mean, relative to now, I mean, I graduated, I mean, I've, I've been out of college because of COVID since whenever COVID happened. Um, okay. because my, my entire last year of college, my senior year was basically online. So I just, I started, I started working, you know, online, uh, as much as I could basically from, from that point. But my, my first exposure to coaching was in 2017. Yeah. Which was really my freshman, my first year of college. Um, and it, started out mostly as, as coaching and helping friends, um, who were usually like me, other failed athletes, uh, at my, at my college, but I transitioned actually not long after that into actually coaching athletes at my school. Uh, I had like an internship with the SNC program at, at Gettysburg. And, um, you know, I, I very quickly discovered that SNC was, I, I, for the longest time, I thought it was going to be like, it was going to be my dream job to be a strength and conditioning coach for a sports team. And then I, I, I realized that like the athletes actually, most of them don't really care about, um, you know, waking up at 6am to do, uh, you know, conditioning work with me. Uh, and most of them don't care about, you know, learning how to do a split squat. And, uh, you know, most of them, especially if they're football players, just want to do curls and, you know, buys and buys, buys and tries. So I quickly realized that my interest was not in people who were totally disinterested. Um, and, you know, most of that stuff, I wouldn't even think to program now in terms of just the the plyometrics and the, you know, that's obviously all sports specific stuff. So I moved very quickly away from that and toward uh, more general pop people who were paying me because they wanted to not only, you know, and there are gen pop people who just despise lifting, but they know that they should probably do it. So they do it anyway, but either way, it's like, they're paying me and they want to be there for some reason. Yeah. And to me, that's infinitely better than having to deal with this like entitled athlete who just wants to go out and like do their thing on the field. You know, they're entitled not to have to do everything else that the team is doing. So yeah, that was, that was kind of my first exposure was in athletics. And then I moved toward, you know, general pop pretty soon after that. Uh, what, what did you go to college for? Was it for um, strength and conditioning um, athletic so, program? Yeah. So technically my major was, called health science which is just broad okay. scopes you know and 
regardless of whether you deviate more in the direction of, um, you know, exercise phys or, you know, biochem, whatever you call it, health science, um, just that's yeah. the way that my school functioned. But, you know, you can think of my degree as basically exercise phys. Um, I took all kinds of base baseline classes that most people have to take in, in that, in those fields, you know, like the basic, uh, sciences, bio, chem, physics, all that crap. Um, but I got to specialize a little bit more with things like orthopedic anatomy and neuromuscular physiology, uh, which were my, probably my two favorite classes that I took in college. And, um, so that's, that's mostly what I studied. And I, I would say a majority of what I studied in the health science field, I don't really use or pay any attention to right now. Um, but I definitely got a really good introduction to things before I, I ever left school that I think most other people, at least in the personal training realm, don't. Right on. Yeah. Cool. Very cool. Um, switching gears a little bit uh, from the kind of the biomechanic standpoint, um, if I want to say it like that, um, what do you think are kind of the most important things or pieces that like a regular gym goer or somebody that's just like, I want to go in and want to kind of like recomp or get in better shape. Um, should do slash no. What can, I guess, what can kind of take them to that outcome without breaking them to pieces? Mm -hmm. Yeah. If you can answer that, it's pretty, pretty broad. Question, yeah. I mean, but... so <laughs> the answer is everything, obviously. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, but the big kinds of no, yeah. Cause I thought a lot about this question, right. Because um, there's so much to potentially communicate but a lot of it ends up, I end up finding is like just out of my own self-interest of like wanting to talk about something. And, you know, so I think over any of the anatomy based stuff, I think the physics based stuff is far more important for people to uh, grasp as a concept, because I think most of us, like this is an industry that is hyper-focused, specifically the personal training industry is hyper-focused on muscle. And we don't really tend to pay much attention to joint and to bone as silly as it sounds, but I've, I've said before um, that I think coaching um, and, and just training in general, like all you're doing is really um, directing bones in different directions. Like there's ultimately on some, and this may be a bit like esoteric in some ways, like we're not really coaching muscle, we're coaching bone. Like we don't really have control over muscle. We only really have control over bone. And obviously like I can move my hand around that's muscle doing that. Right. Um, but I think for the vast majority of people, people take a muscle focused lens to things and they mm. end up running into all kinds of issues doing that because you actually are not paying any attention to the few specific things that actually dictate which muscles are doing what things and at what, you know, uh, what a degree of effectiveness and what uh, specific, uh, you know, plane of motion, all that crap. So I think the, the lowest hanging fruit in some ways is gaining an understanding most most specifically of joints and how joints uh, are different from one another and specifically within those differences, what those differences are and why they're important to understand, you know? So a knee and in, in, in an elbow are very similar in many ways, but different in a few. Uh, a shoulder and a hip are very similar in many ways, but different in a few key ways. And, you know, just kind of understanding those baseline functions and, you know, specifically within those functions, like what, what specific 
the joints are really meant to move in what directions and how much. Uh, and of course, that's always a question of the individual. It's like, how much can you flex your shoulder or how much can you um, extend your elbow? But at the end of the day, I think there are enough similarities between people where we can generally say, okay, you know, the elbow is meant to move in one direction and your shoulder isn't necessarily, but there are still limitations uh, that are created by the structure of your shoulder that are very important to understand in the context of training. So the first thing would be taking a joint specific lens. And then the second thing I would say would be taking the lens of the, of the basic physics stuff, which are ultimately very directly connected. Um, I think if there's any one key takeaway to anything biomechanics related, it is that during any exercise, and there are exceptions to this when, you know, you could potentially be more nuanced in, in how you say this and how you interpret this, but in general, the motions that we are loading or the motions that we're doing, we want to load them in the same plane or the same direction as the joints are moving. So for example, um, if I am doing a um, dumbbell curl, right, uh, or I am doing a barbell curl, there are aspects to doing a barbell curl that allow us to sort of, um, I guess, I guess a good way to say it would be there are there are discrepancies rather between the way that a barbell curl is loading us in the way that the forearm would like to ideally move in most instances in that motion. Um, and, and there are just an infinite number of examples that we could maybe get into in relationship to that. But I think as simple as it sounds, it's like, Hey, move in the direction that there's a force, you know, opposite to, it seems kind of simple. Um, but I think it gets very difficult to sometimes see, um, you know, especially if you haven't actually studied it. Um, but when you can see these things more visually and you can actually see, um, these things in, in real time, and you can actually visualize, okay, what, where can I picture this client's bone is moving? And am I loading that bone in the opposite direction that it's moving? I think across multiple scenarios, the more you see it, the more intuitive it becomes, and the more you can actually self-correct instead of having other people, um, correct you. So those are the two main things is just an understanding of joints is probably the highest priority. And then sort of in tandem with that, just understanding as a product of those joint motions, what bones are moving where, and then how can we load those bones in the opposite directions that they're moving. Uh, and I think you end up solving all of the muscle specific issues in terms of what does this target? What does that target? Uh, why does this hurt? Why does that maybe not feel too good? Uh, those, those kinds of questions I think fall under the category of each of those. Yeah. Um, yeah, I agree. And then the, like the first thought that came up as you're going through that was like, um, alignment, you know, like if you're, if you're thinking about joints and bones and then you have you know, your line of resistance, wherever that is coming from, whether that's gravity or cables, and then you're just looking at alignment of whatever bones you're trying to move. I think that can go quite a long way for just, you know, a regular gym goer trying to, you know, look good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that's why cables end up being uh, so helpful for so many people, not only just in terms of actual outcomes in orthopedic health, but also just learning because, you know, you can on any sort of picture in any freeze frame, draw lines of force 
and people can understand lines of force on a picture like that when you're drawing them. But then, you know, when you come into the gym and you grab a dumbbell, all of a sudden it's like confusing for people. Right. But with, with cables, it's like, you're looking at lines that are already drawn for you in real time. And you can actually observe distances and changes in those distances and planes of motion and directions of loading and all that stuff, just as you're actually doing the motion. Right. Yeah. Um, Cables would probably be, um, and, and I know you've been on a, on a cable kick on, on IG, but um, (laughs) as I continue, especially like going through, um, you know, the RTS stuff and, and taking in your stuff as well, like, um, you know, cables, I guess a long time ago, an uneducated time ago for myself, it was like, you know, cables. Yeah, cool. Like we can do some stuff, but now like, looking at it through different lenses, it's like, wow, like you can do a lot of shit on a cable. And I, I, I had a client, I have a, a couple and um, uh, I think she was talking about like her husband was wanting to get um, like a barbell bench press or something. And I was like, you know, and I, you know, I've worked with both of them. And so there's always, you know, a structure thing and like position thing as far as like how they move in space. And it's like, one of the things I was like, if you're going to get anything, if you're going to spend your money on anything, like just get a dual stack like this and you'll be able to do so much shit and it'll fit your body better, you know, from person to person, especially like, you know, listeners don't know the context of these people, but barbell Mm -hmm. would not work for the guy that I'm talking about at all. So it's, I think a cable is definitely where you can, as a regular gym goer, see things like you said, and and orthopedically, like, just feel very nice while also, you know, getting closer to the outcome that you're shooting for. And yeah, some and people I, probably don't want to hear that because yeah, they want to yeah. throw around some shit. <laughs> well, I was going to say, so on that point, um, like, I think still we're at a place and this is kind of like part of what my, you know, the goal of the movement is, is to like it, it just eradicate these completely crazy ideas about like having to do certain things and just the traditional exercises. Like, you know, you mentioned barbell bench press. Certain people are probably like uh, would still be shocked to hear you say that someone is not built for a barbell yeah. right? as as if such a thing could possibly exist. Right. Um, but I think one of the biggest um issues or really trade-offs that creates that feeling in people in terms of the barbell versus the cable like most a lot of the times the feedback that i get about cables is like well cables don't really work well because they're so like the stability is so low and i'm like what like first of all you know that could mean like a hundred different things depending on who you're talking about like what stability Mm -hmm. means um but in the context of like the cable versus the, the barbell what oftentimes occurs just in a you know let's say you have two people who are identical you you have a you have clones of one another and you give you know one clone the barbell and you say do presses and you give one clone the dual cable stack and you say okay set up you know a horizontal press that would kind of mimic the forces of of a barbell press in some way the person who's doing the cable press for the first time is likely going to experience likely i said likely going to experience uh probably better joint outcomes we'll just call it like probably just you know they'll probably end up loading themselves in a way that's probably not as problematic 
as in the case with the barbell bench presser, assume, you know, assuming that they're just the average person, right? Not someone who's especially well or poor built for the barbell. Uh, but what will happen in terms of just the first time experience between those two things is the person who's doing the barbell press will be able to really feel like, okay, uh, you know, I, I did a lot of work in this session. I felt my chest, I felt my triceps, I felt my shoulders, you know, I accomplished something. I, I was able to lift X amount of pounds for X amount of load or, or for X amount of uh, reps. But the person who sets up the cable thing, it's like, number one is like, they can't really easily conceptualize what is weight what does this weight on this cable mean for me you know is it mm. is it a is it a two to one is it a one to one is it a four to one that that changes everything in terms of the pulleys on the stack right um so it's like more far-fetched in terms of their personal experience but they also won't necessarily be able to set it up very well in a way if if they're not being guided to do it so with because you can be more precise with the cable you have to be more precise with the cable because there's more there's a ton more freedom in terms of the options that you have. And so mm -hmm. the benefit of, of the cables is that you have so many uh, options to be able to individualize the motion, but the drawback is the same as the benefit, right? The drawback is that there are so many different ways now that you can actually fuck this up that have nothing to do with your goal. Whereas it's like you lay down at a bench, you pick up a barbell, there's only one thing that you can do, but the limitation mm -hmm. of only being able to do one thing is that you are completely constrained to that one thing. So people often go to the cables and have this poor experience of like, mm, I didn't know how to set it up. It was too many moving parts, too complicated. And they don't actually care to actually learn about it because they, their thought is just, oh, well, I did this first thing on uh, this one thing on the bench press over here and it worked immediately. Therefore, that must be the better option. But again, the trade-off is, is, is hopefully I've repeated myself enough is that like, because you have that constraint because of the perceived benefit, you have the actual drawback of the, of the bench press, which is that you have to constrain yourself to that one mm. single scenario. So that's kind of like what I'm trying to, uh, it's a very complicated thing or nuanced thing to explain, like when it takes me that long to explain it. But when I, um, when I see people and when I hear about their experiences, when they take, you know, even just a couple minutes a day to learn some of this stuff, the, the effects can be totally profound in terms of like their experience going to the gym, their perception of their own body and how strong they are. They're, they're, I'm sure, you know, like all your clients just, you know, they, they, they come from these places of, tra of traditional thought and, you know, you, you give them a couple cable motions that you set up well, and they're like, Oh my God, I've never been able to do a pull down without pain. You know, yeah. uh, they all of a sudden they go from feeling like a broken uh, a human to someone who's empowered and someone who's more confident immediately, someone who, um, you know, feels better walking around as a consequence, uh, you know, just even forgetting all the res results that you, you know, down the line, they're going to kind of say. So um, it's, it's, it's a topic that I'm, I'm, uh, I'm passionate <laughs> about. It, so. Yeah. In, in, in a sense, I guess uh summarized or put in in simpler terms is like the the understanding of like kind of the alignment thing with cables is kind of your barrier of entry for people versus the barbell where it's just like oh, i just put the weight on there and then i do this thing versus mm -hmm. like like you said you can set the cable up so many different ways um yeah i didn't think of it like that because uh sometimes it's hard to step back from from you know where where we are at of like oh yeah like we see the lines and the profile and the drop off or whatever versus someone who's just like okay how the fuck do i set this up like 
here, here, and then they just go through it without seeing the things happening Mm -hmm. versus like when I have a client that I'm taking in for whatever chest press, or we're doing a lateral raise or whatever. And I can go, okay, like, let's, you know, bring that down a little bit. And maybe you come back this way. And then all of a sudden they're like, oh yeah, like that feels really good. So yeah, Mm -hmm. that's definitely the, um, I think the barrier for people with the difference between I'll just go over here and like lift this thing off the ground versus Mm -hmm. fucking with all this shit over here. (laughs) Yeah. And, and, And I very quickly realized that I really did not get along well with clients that weren't curious because all of the clients and, and I train a lot, I, basically compared to the in-person training, since I've moved to the education stuff, I've, I've only trained a few people now, but the few people that I've ended up with are always asking me questions. They're always like, why, why are you doing this? Why are you doing that? What, what, why are we doing this one instead of that one? Mm-hmm. Like those are yeah. the people that I've always kept long-term. And I understand that, you know, if you are a trainer, you're always going to probably have some clients where you're just like, I just can't like deal with this person anymore, but you know, maybe, <laughs> maybe you have to. So um, I, I always appreciated and appreciate now the people who ask those kinds of questions, because what they're really asking is, Hey, how do I do this with myself when I'm not with you? That's really what they're asking. They're not asking this one question that they want this one cookie cutter answer to in this one scenario that they're going to forget 10 minutes later. They're asking right. about a process which carries on with them much long after you've you know finished the session or you've finished yeah. working with them all together. So, yeah. Um, and it, in my experience, you know, working with people like that, that, you know, um, and it's, it's everywhere, of course, but, um, you know, being where I'm at, most of the people, especially the people that have, that have had trainers in the past or have done workout stuff, you know, as, as I'm digging into their experience and what they've done, it's like, you know, they've had trainers that are like, all right, we're going to do, you know, some crazy you know, we're going to do 21s with this barbell and and then we're going to do some burpees. And so I've got these people coming in that have this like intensity of like, I need to be doing this, lots of this stuff and very quickly and, you know, just kind of flopping around in space. And for me, like bringing people into cables, um, especially like as people get older and they continue to just do that kind of thing, something happens at like their shoulder, like, yeah, there's this shoulder's been tweaked ever since I did this crazy shit that I was doing. And, (laughs) and so like my, my lead into like doing cable stuff is like, uh, it's always been like, Hey, uh, you want to try something new that might feel really awesome. And they usually go, Oh yeah, this sounds like fun. And then, you know, I'll attach the things and have them do it and maybe mess with the alignment thing. And all of a sudden they've like, they're doing a lateral raise with no pain and they're like, Oh wow. And they can feel their entire delt through the whole thing. And now, and then it's like, after that experience for them, they're, they're, they're like hooked. So every time I'm like, Hey, you want to try something new for your tricep? And they're like, yes, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. It's a really good way to kind of um, frame it too, because people are definitely resistant to new shit, you know? And yeah, sometimes it's, it's kind of like, um, I I feel badly for the way that I mentally have to deal with like trolls, but like usually the people that troll my page are the people that down the line are going to be in pain at some point. And I'm like, (laughs) just wait, like (laughs) just lift long enough and see what happens, you know? Um, But I also think that, you know, the clients that do 
have that experience are like I mentioned earlier, not they're definitely empowered, but they're also like there's a degree of surprise and there's a degree of like the motion clicking uh, that just is the most rewarding thing for me to see and have people experience like with me. Um, because I think that that's how you create true buy-in is you create true buy-in and true knowledge in general through, you can only do it through experience. Right. Yeah. So that's why I've really given up so much on, uh, the internet arguments because to be honest, I mean, you know, Tom saying of like, no one enters an argument really to have their mind changed. Yeah. Yeah. There's that side of it, but there's also like, um, if you are, if you are on the correct side of an argument, experience and time will show that, you know, you don't, you don't need to prove a point with words that you can eventually allow them to prove through their own poor choices and experience. And so it's kind of like, I can rest assured (laughs) knowing, you know, and, and, and some people, you know, they'll do barbell bench press their whole life and they'll be fine, but it's, you know, few and far between. So, yeah. Yeah. Sometimes I just go to your post just to look at the comments so I can have a nice laugh. Oh man. I, yeah, it's good. I think it was your your um I think it was the barbell squat one that entertained me the most. Yeah. People are so emotionally attached to that one. Yeah, it's it's very I mean people are very <laughs> tribal by nature. Um Yeah. But it, it's very weird that people get so defensive over over that kind of a thing. It's like we all just yeah. cling to to one thing or another, I guess. Yeah. 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 Um um let's go into um i mean this one let's see how i can how can i word this one um usually it's worded as like what are the what are the things in the industry that irritate you the most but i don't like to use that because you know it's just it's one of those things like we you've mentioned multiple times already of like you know time and experience will show whatever, you know? So if someone says, Oh, I feel fine doing this. Okay. We'll keep doing it for 10 years and we'll, we'll talk again. Um, so I don't like to think of it as like, what are the, like your pet peeves in the industry? Um, more so, I guess, like, what would you like to see more of, or perhaps, um, what would you like to see maybe change or, transform in the industry as a whole if that's mm-hmm. even something that we can answer yeah so i think the first thing um and this applies to all industries um but if there's one thing that i've valued the most about diving as deeply into one topic that i have it's that at the end of every train of logic or thought process, there's a point at which you just have to say that you don't know. And you can only really know that once you've dove deep, deep enough into any single topic. And anyone that thinks that there is a certain answer to really anything probably has not done that. Um, You know, you, we mentioned Tom a bunch of times as I think we should, you know, he's very uncomfortable answering any question in any straightforward way. And that's because he's trying to approximate what um, is the closest thing to a truthful response as, as he can. And so I think my answer in part one would just be people, uh, one of my pet peeves is kind of 
and this is also ties into the idea of like, it used to be me kind of a thing is people who are totally full of shit being really confident about their, not just necessarily the products that they're selling, right? Cause that's maybe another um, sort of unrelated thing. Um, but people being full of shit and almost like not really knowing it, like they're so confident in their communication and they're so confident in their opinion that there could be no other way, you know, to, to believe what they, you know, like uh, no one could imagine believing anything otherwise. And mm. just that kind of arrogance that comes off with, with that, um, not only arrogance, but it's like, I think what really bothers me about it is the people that follow those individuals often are completely unaware of how full of shit they are. And I only came to that realization when, you know, the people that I followed, um, you know, eight years ago, for instance, I used to think were like intellectual gods, you know, and I've come to realize over, over the, over the years, just how full of shit, like most of them actually are. Um, and so I think it's partly like a frustration with just so many people being misled and, and misinformed and so many people, um, you know, worshiping others like I used to, uh, and, and looking at other people as if they had all the answers. And if there's anything that I really want to like make clear about my stuff and myself is I will express things confidently because I thought a lot about a lot of this stuff, but I think that if you actually look at the deep X's and O's of it all, you know, you end up in a place where it's like, we, we can't ultimately really be super confident about anything. And just sort of returning to that sense of humility, I think is really important for anyone, but especially in the fitness industry where you're directly controlling people's physical decisions and decision and making decisions for them if you're a coach. So that would be the first thing. And this is the second thing is kind of something that's comes along in tandem with that, uh, which relates to our earlier conversation, which is people making up issues and selling solutions for the issues that they themselves are making up. So um, ace physical asymmetry is something that falls under this um, that I've spent a lot of time thinking about recently. Uh, you know, muscle imbalance, um, mobility is actually mobility and stretching are probably the main ones that fall under this category because the way that these things are talked about is, is, is very generalized and very absolute in almost every single context that I see it talked about in. And, you know, as we know, we, we, especially with something like mobility, where, where so many individual factors play into someone's individual, uh, you know, motion capabilities, we're looking at yeah. a situation where if you generalize, you're immediately wrong, right? You're, if you generalize, you're immediately wrong. Uh, and also if you, if you make claims about, you know, generalized things, not, not only are you wrong in some instances and like for certain, uh, but what you also do is you also make people feel like they need to fit a certain mold. And by doing that, you create an issue in their minds, right? Because people say, oh, I, I can't put my hand here. Why can't I put my hand here? Um, well, I can't put my hand here because I don't have the mobility. So what I should do is I should buy your program that tells me how to increase my mobility because of this problem that you yourself told me that I have, right? It's like, you know, Alex, like that shirt you're wearing is just, is the wrong shirt. You need this other shirt that I'm wearing instead. And because I'm wearing it, it's the correct shirt. 
And because you're wearing it, it's the wrong shirt. Like that's, that's effectively what I hear when these arguments come up uh, in terms of, you know, people's logic about it or ultimately where the train of logic leads in terms of the, you know, the, the, the conclusions, which are entirely uh, unsubstantiated. So I would say those are my main two, which are obviously directly related, but yeah, I think the, the problem creating and solving one is something that really is, I, I hold closely because all of the problems that I used, all of the problems that I used to run into were issues that um, other people were making up that I thought that I had to solve for. And it was kind of only when I realized that like, I was actually creating those problems myself. There was no reason to create them in the first place that, you know, the solutions all of a sudden appear, started appearing out of nowhere. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's, you hit that right on the head. Um, on the, on that same topic of like mobility, that was, that's definitely one. Um, that's probably like a, a more fresh one for myself um after after covid um i did a uh call it a cert or whatever a learning thing that i did um and it was very much so about there are other things in it but it was very heavy centered on like the mobility thing and you know doing stuff to improve mobility and again like it was kind of in that powerlifting realm as well so like a lot of these people came kind of from that background or even like the education taught was also kind of backing with powerlifting or athletics of some kind but you know diving down that whole thing of like you need to improve this so that you can do this and you know finding myself diving into that and then like starting to do these like like you said like put on this different shirt and so like bringing in clients and being like okay like we have to you know improve that mobility there before we can do this and like as I went further into education and especially going through you know Tom stuff over the last like year now it's like you know kind of like a face palm to myself of like wow like Mm -hmm. what a ridiculous thing to make people do Mm-hmm. especially some of the stuff out there is like the fuck like why even you know you're looking at like stuff like you know a, a windmill and like having somebody do a windmill that shouldn't why like what's you know why should they ever do that in their life anyways <laughs> to yeah. improve this thing called mobility yeah and and you know that obviously ties very closely into the whole made up problem made up solution thing. Yeah. Um. But I think it, it the the logic of it very quickly falls apart when you when you talk about it analogously. And I think the analog the analogies. I mean, the shirt one was one example. But even if you didn't like, if you wanted to make a sort of um, comparison, maybe that's not necessarily an analogy. It's like what so most of the mobility things the, the the mobility claims that are made are only in relationship to ball and socket joints and or joints that are sliding joints like you know you could consider the whole process of like spinal rotation is a combination of a couple things but a lot of it is actually just sliding of facets and so you know people look at like thoracic mobility and shoulder mobility and hip mobility 
why is it that like no one is talking about improving elbow extension? Like, should we not, you know, if we're just going to improve mobility and we're operating under the assumption that more is better then you know, why can't I extend my elbow more? Why can't I flex it more? And it's because it's so much more obvious that there are, there are dead stops to that motion that are not as obvious in the shoulder and in the hip. And when you understand just as a concept that the restraints or the constraints of either scenario are, are, are similar in terms of their actual, you know, what, what, what kinds of stops you're running into, you're running into bone, you're running into stretch of ligament, stretch of muscle, uh, contractile, uh, 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 range of muscle, right? All those things are the same, but we're just talking about a joint that like you have some kind of misunderstanding of or bias toward believing should be more mobile, uh, you know, based on what you've told that, that uh, again, just the, the logic of falls very, uh, very quickly falls apart when, when you look at it at, at any level of, uh, of, of detail and an analogy that I also like to, to tell people who, because you can't really, like, I can't communicate with you and other people kind of in this industry, the same way that I can communicate like my dad, you know, my, cause <laughs> my, my, my dad will, will never, you know, um, ag agree to the fact that the bench press might not be the best thing for his shoulder at age 60. And yet he kind of continues to do it, even though it, it hurts his shoulder, you know, I'm never going to convince him otherwise. So I had to communicate with, with him and other people, uh, you know, kind of in my life who are not in this, in this space differently. And, and one of the things that I'll talk about in relationship to the mobility topic, because the best, the best, um, conversation to have is one that just is not direct at all. You just kind of ask people like, okay, um, so why am I not like seven feet tall? And they're like, well, you're just like, you're just not, you know, like, what do you mean? Why, why are you not seven feet tall? I'm like, okay, why do you, why can I not move my elbow? Right. So you kind of see where it's going in terms of um, just trying to find like adjacent lines of logic uh, where it's like, okay, you know, today, mom, you know, you're, you're five, three and tomorrow we're going to make you five, five. Like that to me is almost the same as telling someone, you know, who comes in with a, with a shoulder or something you perceive to be a shoulder restriction. Um, that's logically, I think, um, I think it makes sense as, as a comparison. So, yeah, it's just, it's so beyond ridiculous, um, to really, have have a conversation about in the first place, but we kind of have to just deal with unpacking old beliefs uh, or current beliefs, and in, in a in a sort of non provocative way, trying to identify what those you know what assumptions your beliefs are operating under, because ultimately the underlying assumptions really are the things that create the belief um, without our without our recognition usually. Yeah, um, for people listening if they are just like regular gym goers or maybe someone will listen to this and now they're like steaming because we're talking about mobility um what take take me through like what your thought process would be when it comes to you know if you someone that is in this mobility realm that would see this person and go okay now we're, we're going to do these mobility things like when it comes to those things, whether it's, you know, running out of room, whatever with, with bone or, you know, the tendon and ligament stuff, like where, how would you kind of describe or explain your thought process versus like this whole mobility world would, does that make sense? That mm -hmm. question? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. I think um, the biggest, the, the, the most big picture distinction would be my, I think my approach um, 
is more of a reactive approach and the mobility folk, functional movement folk, their approach is, is kind of proactive and predictive. So, you know, if this person has, I'll just use a common example that I hear a lot for some reason, it's like people talk about rotation of the shoulder, like external rotation of the shoulder. I'm limited in external rotation of the shoulder, Ben, what do I do? Um, you know, the first question I always ask is what, what makes you say that you're limited in the first place? Right. And usually what that ends up being about is some, some standard that someone saw or something, you know, five years ago that someone told them that they should have this or they should have that. So we kind of start to dive into just the, the fundamental like presupposition of the, of the claim, which is that I should mm. have this many degrees of external rotation and I only have this many, many degrees. Mm, yeah. And, and so the assumption with, with the mobility crowd is like, I have to get to that number. Not only do I have to get to that, that bigger number, uh, but also that this person can get to this bigger number that they should, because they'll be healthier, right? Those are all layered assumptions, Right. So yeah. it's just assumption, assumption. It's just a house of cards of assumptions. And so I think my approach and my approach in real time to, to be a little bit more concrete is just like, let's just see with that, you know, if I'm if I'm doing an exercise and um, let's say in the same example, this person, for whatever reason, they're paying me to improve their external rotation. The first thing I'm going to say, of course, is, listen, I don't know if we can improve it or if we should. But we're just going to kind of see what you can do. And we're going to play within the range that mechanically to me looks okay. And sensationally for you looks fine or feels fine rather. And, and we're just going to see where that takes us. So it's much less of like a, if this, then that, as it is like a, Hey, let's just kind of, a you know, make, make change a and observe uh, the, the, um, the, the sort of immediate outcome again, whether sensation based or mechanics based on what I'm observing change mm. and we'll see where it goes. And, and, and that process is not a sexy process. It's like a test retest. That's exact. That's what science actually is, right? Like the, the current science understanding, I think of social media are on social media of what science is, is science provides answers. But to me, science just provides uh, more context for more appropriate lines of questioning. Um, and so, you know, when I see that person and let's say they, they, they do some external rotations with a cable or whatever, just, you know, within their active range, what they're comfortable with, if more range opens up and they're happy about that, like, cool, they did it on their own. I didn't shove them into the position. I didn't force them to get there. You know, they were just doing what with what was within their current abilities and that and that was you know worked out if if there's no improvement um you know in perceived range then that's also okay um uh, but the assumption i think that any of those things are a must or any of those mm. things are, are doing what we think they're doing i think is i think is a fool's errand yeah i i like how you put that um um kind of the outlined the because it's so common with a lot of the people I see of where they say something like, oh yeah, like whether it was a physical therapist or the doctor or whoever said, you know, you only have this much, you should have this much. And then the question is like, really, like, should you have that much? Like my, my, my answer every time someone says, yeah, like I can only do uh, whatever, whatever it is, whether it's external rotation or knee flexion or whatever, like I can only get this far. Um, and they say, you know, I should be at this point. And my 
my question for them is why, you know, do you need to be there? Like, is that something that like restricts you from what you do every day? And usually the answer is, well, no, like, okay, well, let's do stuff that doesn't put you past that, you know, like doesn't force you, like, let's just go to where you can actively control things. And then we'll see how things go. Like one of, again, the same pair of clients I have, um, she had some, she did some like stem cell stuff in her knees and stuff and did some weird stuff. But her thing was like, oh, I can only get this far. Like she, <laughs> someone had told her like, she should be able to get off the ground a certain way. And so my question for her was why she was like, well, she didn't know, you know, it's like, um, I don't know. I'm like, well, that's probably someone just saying something because wherever they saw it or whether it was on social media, that's what they do to get people to fucking follow them and buy their program. It's mm -hmm. like, you should be able to get off the floor like this. And then I try and without going too deep into the weeds of things, say, you know, along the lines of like, well, everyone has different limb lengths, tibia to femur, like some people can get off the ground just like that with no fucking problem at all, because they're not even like going to any extreme with the joint for you, you know, trying to show them like these things. And I'm like, for you, it's even regardless of if you had this, you know, perceived um, visual mobility or whatever, you would still have a challenge getting off the ground like this, but mm -hmm. without even like addressing specifically doing these like mobility thingies whatever you see online and shit just doing normal stuff having her control like her actual active contractile range that she can go through like she's improved what she can do with knee flexion and all that stuff and that's just been a trend that i've seen with a lot of people without making them do in what what i would say is kind of circus act sort of stuff yeah and i think that's something that's very difficult to do unless you are with uh, unless you are talking to someone that you are comfortable talking with and that they right. are comfortable talking to you and you know you're you're kind of in a scenario that's that's safe and they don't feel any degree of insecurity when you ask them why because especially on you know in, in like a public setting like this you know if if you were to ask me why about a, a statement that i had and i had no answer to why i would immediately I would immediately panic and become defensive because I, I realize that I have no reason. So if I make an absolute <laughs> claim and that I can at least substantiate it a few layers deep, you know, or at least eventually get to the point where I, where I give the caveat of like, Hey, this thing is likely to happen if, or Hey, this thing may occur if, you know, those are the kinds of things that I find create a much more uh, safe environment to be able to say, and that's really, I think, a, a measure of security more than insecurity is the ability to say that, like, you're you're just not totally sure or that you, you know, right. this is all really a guess and a prediction. People are very uncomfortable with with hearing that kind of thing. And I think that something that creates a lot of imagined authority is the lack of ability to to admit that, they're, that you know, that people are wrong or that they're uncertain. And I think that's something that really needs to change. And I really appreciate when people who are, are at a high, a very high level of, of intellectual capacity are able to, in a very humble way, uh, you know, um, articulate their opinion and their views and, and, and the way that they answer questions and, and give public uh, speeches and those kinds of things. And one of the people, I don't know if you know, do you know who Jordan uh, Peterson is? Um, I think so. So he's, he's an author, he's a speaker. Um, he's, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Mm-hmm. He's kind of, um, you know, he used to do a lot more stuff that was less like politically charged. So just staying far away from anything politically charged. One of the questions I, I heard this in a clip a couple of weeks ago, and it really stuck with me. Um, one of the questions that he got at a recent seminar, because, you know, he speaks all around the world and, and does these Q&A's just that are more like life based, philosophy based was like, Jordan, you know, you've you've helped so many people in all these different ways. And, you know, you've written tons of books and, you know, you're still going and you're still trying to get people to to understand what you're saying. And you're still trying to educate. Like, why do you do it? What what it, what is the reason that you do it for? And it was really powerful. He he kind of sat there for a moment and probably, you know, keep in mind, there's like thousands of people who are like waiting for him to speak. He's just like sitting there staring at the floor. Uh, and in answering why he does it, he said, um, to see what will happen. And that was like the most based answer I've ever heard. To anything <laughs> because it's really the only truthful answer that he could have given, mm. you know. And so I think that we all, you know, myself included, need to kind of employ that strategy uh and and display that level of security and just being okay with not knowing what's going to happen because you can't you know so mm. i thought that i thought that was really cool and that's something that i try to continue to remember it's like why am i doing this i'm doing this so that i can see what will happen <laughs> deep I think it's powerful yeah it's powerful right going deep in going deep um i'm gonna switch up just a little bit i have a little bit at the end here um okay. kind of going over over business stuff and social media. Um, obviously, uh, you've had and still do have a lot of success on social media. And uh, one of my questions for you is, um, what have you found um, works best for you over the time that you spend on social media? Um, or um, how do you kind of go about your process of the whole social media thing that has worked for you anyways? So I think for me, it's all because for for a very long time, I never actually thought to answer that question for myself. Um, I just kind of would try different things and see what would stick. And over time, what I uh, came to recognize and, you know, still now I'm not always certain and I'm okay with that as to the answer to these things. But I think what really defines, because ultimately the question is like, what defines a good piece of content? Um, yeah. Because because good translates across scenarios. I think there are principles to content that you can take away from different bits and pieces. And the two major things that I found apply across every piece of content that does well is the content itself is... Uh, valuable in some way, meaning that there is a takeaway from the content that someone can immediately use, not use 10 years in the future, not use a week from now. What what can they put down their phone with and go into the gym or maybe they're in the gym? What can they do right now that's useful and valuable to them? That's number one. And number two is shareability. So if a con- if, if a piece mm. of content can be both valuable and shareable, I think you have a winner and not only do you have a winner, but I think that you have uh, you have something that across time and across um, iterations of that same piece of content remains, remains um, 
not not necessarily reliable, but but relevant, right? So if you if you look at a piece of content that you're creating today, um, is that a piece of content that is not only valuable and shareable, but is it a piece of content that um, you can repackage in different ways? Is it something that you could use for either another medium entirely, or is it something that you could essentially repackage in a post next week? And it may look entirely different, but it's actually exactly the same concept, right? Like sometimes what I'll do is because I normally, 99% of the time I make posts that are 10 swipes, uh, which is just something that I prefer to do because of the the medium. I think I can be more thorough with, with 10 slides. Um, but sometimes what I'll do is I'll just change the first slide of the 10 and the rest of the nine are exactly the same. So because I think that part of the content game is not just like, what can I post and provide today? It's, can I do what I'm doing now a year from now or two years from now or three years mm. from now? And people that I find are constantly trying to make new shit all the time, not only are getting worse results from an audience standpoint, but they're also uh, less sustainable strategies because they're constantly having to make new stuff mm. and do, new, and do yeah. new things over short periods of time. So those would be the main things. One is the content value is the first and foremost thing. Two is the shareability. Three is how you create it or differentiate it in different iterations over time. And then what I would also say as actually a final thing is the thing that I find is useful uh, in terms of, you know, 10 different, um, 10 different slides is when you look at a post that is 10 slides long, um, my cats are so... <laughs> You see how they just chill like this? Um, when you create a, a piece of content, and this kind of falls under the shareable category, that is that people have more opportunities to share. So if you post one reel, which reels have their own benefit, right? The, the out, whatever the fucking algorithm that people talk about, uh, you know, apparently it's better in some way or something. I, not been my experience, but um, if you post one reel and you provide like a tidbit in that reel, it's like, cool. The person may get value from it, but like who is really going to share a reel and, you know, post a comment, you know, post it in their story and then look at it and make a comment on it. Like, oh my God, so true or whatever. Right. If you, if you put a piece of content that is essentially 10 different ways, 10 swipes to say the same exact thing in a different way, that person, that viewer has 10 entirely different opportunities. 10 times the amount of opportunities for them to be like, I resonate with this, I should share it, right? Because I'm sure you've mm. experienced like when you when you share something, whether it's to a friend in a DM on a story, you are immediately compelled. There's no thought process that occurs between the time that you share and um, when you read the piece of content, you just, it's automatically like an intuitive thing. You're like, this needs to be shared with other people because of how much you resonate with it. So even if that one piece of content that you made on the reel really, really resonated like 80% with the person, maybe if they just had one more swipe opportunity or one more different way to view it, then they could, you know, then understand that like, okay, this is something that is into, I don't even need to think about it. I just, I just share it. So that's something that I kind of have observed over time that has been helpful as a framework. And I don't, I don't really think many people talk about content production in this kind of a way, which is maybe something that's, that's um, maybe it's unique, but I, it's probably not when most people look at like their successful pieces of content versus not, it's just more just like, I'm, I, I've just recently figured out how to kind of articulate it that way. Uh, if that makes sense. And I think that, 
most people are probably focusing. I think if they're not doing particularly well, they're, they're missing one of three things. They're missing the value piece. They're missing the shareability and they're and more likely than not, they're just probably missing the consistency and the ability to iterate that same kind of piece of content over time, because the sustainability thing I think is, is far more important than the quality of your content. I think if you simply do something for long enough, even if you do it kind of at like 80% capacity, you end up just like much like in bodybuilding and, you know, most other physical endeavors, you just end up getting better at the scale. You just end up seeing more results because you're just able to just do it for an infinite amount of time. So that those yeah. are kind of my, I think, main takeaways. Yeah. I like how you put the, I like the, the, the concept of reusing content, but in a different way, whether that's the change of the first slide. Um, because I think, I'm sure, you know, like a lot of times it takes sometimes people, you know, like five times of seeing the same thing for it to go, oh, like click. So maybe the different way yeah. that you put it, but it's the same thing essentially can click with someone else. Um, and it, and, you know, with the fitness industry itself, like there's tons and tons and tons of things that we can talk about, but like the main things stay the same for the most part, right? Like they're, you know, like on a tricep thing, like you extend the elbow, right? Like that's your tricep thingy. And so like how many, like you said, like it's the same thing, but how can you put it differently? Because mm -hmm. otherwise then you're going to start trying to do stupid, crazy stuff to do, you know, the simple thing. So being able to, to exactly. like regurgitate that in an effective way is dope. And I can definitely see how that's like just works so well for you. Um, mm -hmm. And then your, your value equation as well. I think um, especially as I go forward with my stuff, like that's kind of like a framework that I like to look through now is like, is this valuable to anybody and making sure that that's there. Cause I think a lot of times um, with any industry, of course, but specifically with, you know, personal trainers and coaches right now, like they're trying, you know, the whole thing with, there is the concept of like consistency and, you know, volume, if you will. But I do think as things, especially social media gets like heavily saturated, like making sure that there is something of value in everything that you post, because then you can get stuck in this kind of loop of you're just posting stuff. And it's like, okay, like does whatever you're doing or whatever the real is or the post is that can someone take that, like you said, and apply it literally, like if they saw that right before they went to the gym, could they go into the gym and do that? And I mm -hmm. think that's where that like things start to ramp for you as far as like people being able to share that with others or their friends and being able to actually apply and being able to have like, you know, a response to that versus just posting stuff. Yeah. And I think that, that, I mean, that was, that was really well said in terms of the, the, the comparison, especially in that the obvious things are never, uh, you know, they're often overlooked and not obvious, but the way that you communicate the obvious things is really what makes them potentially obvious to, you know, one person versus another. And I really had a, and this is really stuck with me, just, I think where all this stuff even came from in terms of my actual thinking about what I was doing is what you were just saying. Just, I was, I used to just like post and whatever. And 
you know, that can, that can work. Like just posting for a very long time can work um, for a lot of people. It doesn't, but for some people it does. Um, but I really had a wake up call. This was probably like, I don't know, two years ago, two and a half years ago when I made this one post, I forget. I don't even remember the topic, but it was just one slide. Um, it was like one of those tweet style things. And mm. um, one of my, one of my followers said, um, what is the point of this? And <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, at the time, I was like super offended. I was like, what do you mean? What is the point of this? Like, obvious, the point should be obvious. And of course, I thought about it more. And I was like, there's no point. Like, I just wanted to say it. You know? <laughs> and so from that point on, you know, that 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 guy's message, I don't even remember who it was or again, what it was about. But that message has really stuck with me. And so every time, you know, I look at a piece of content and I can look through the swipes and see all the memes and see all the you know diagrams or whatnot I have to be able to answer very clearly and quickly like what is the point of this um mm. and and if you can't like very that. immediately answer that question then then you know that you know I don't care if you've worked on the piece of content for an hour like just What's fucking get rid of it because there's no point to it that's great dude I love that I'm gonna put yeah. that on a t-shirt Excellent. What's the What's point? The point? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so do you, um, with your process on social media, cause I know like with myself, um, the quality goes down very much. If I'm like trying to do like, I'm like, Oh shit, I got to post something today. Let me just do something. So like, obviously like kind of planning out like the content that you're going to put out there. Um, what does that kind of look like for you? Do you sit down for three hours and like prep your content for the week or what's that look like? So I think this, I think the answer to this question comes down to just identifying what, I mean, it's, it's a very cliched thing to say, but what like works for you because for the longest time I tried to do that. I tried to do what other people were advising, which was, you know, I sit down, I, 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 you know, I write a list of 50 things and, you know, I, I plan out the content. I do it beforehand. And now it's like, I usually wake up in the morning and I'm like, what am I going to post today? Um, and, and it's, it's a lot less structured than you might think because I post every single mm. day, uh, on the days where I'm really not in the mood, I just, I just scroll back probably three months and I just repost something that I've already posted, which is to my earlier point is why it's important to, be able to repackage things so that you on those days you can still you know that that once uh really driven version of you that made that really good piece of content can be present on this day that you're not sort of uh -huh. a thing um so that's what i do on days that i really just don't feel like it uh, or hate it um but i would say the secret sauce for me most of the time has just been to continually be like the, my content is often, most times often a reflection of what I'm, what problems I'm currently trying to solve and what topics I'm currently talking most about. So mm. having someone in your circle, so having someone in your, um, you know, group of close friends that, you know, much like Ethan is for me, you know, Ethan and I talk about just any number of topics on any given day for any length of time, like, on Friday, we ended up talking for like three hours straight, like impromptu about like 10 different things, just, you know, kind of out of nowhere. So I realized that's a more exceptional thing to have happen is to have that person who's, you know, um, 
in, intelligent in many ways, but in many ways that are different from the ways that you yourself are intelligent, you know, to have mm. someone who can kind of give you pushback on things and to bring up new questions and new ideas. I basically have a constant stream of content ideas come from the conversations that I have every day. And I think that that's the most organic way to do it and the most efficient way to do it. Because if you're going to make a piece of content that you're not interested in, people are going to pick up on that very, very quickly. It's kind of like in school when you're writing about a topic that you couldn't give less of a fuck about. It's like you're never going to write a good paper about anything that you're not yeah. interested in. So that's kind of the way that I look at it now. Um Whereas before, I think I was attempting to be much more structured with it. I think my version of structure is really just sort of what I'm, what's currently on my mind and talking about that. Right on. Hell yeah. Dope. Dope. Um, so to kind of uh, wrap things up here, um, you have the, the Modern Meathead courses and the newsletter. Um how about uh, give a, a few details maybe of of what that stuff looks like, maybe who it's for and and mm -hmm. um, kind of, you know, if any of the listeners, whoever does listen to this is interested, can can find that. And mm -hmm. um, um, yeah, anything that you'd like to say about your stuff? Um, I mean, just beyond the whole where and who it's for thing, probably, you know, probably keep it at that i just uh okay the, the 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 online courses i have two of them one is a programming specific one that's only like four or five hours of video content as of now that's a newer thing within the last couple of weeks i put it out um, but the online biomechanics course i think we're over like 16 or 17 hours now of, of video content lectures um you know, there's a whole exercise library in there basically my goal was to make uh you know a course for the people, and this might not be the best for marketing, which, you know, I've thought a lot about and <laughs> we'll look into more in the future, but it's really for the person that is interested in the topic, which is like, you know, there's, oh, Ben, you're not going to create like an archetype of who wants to buy it. And I'm like, no, nah, like it's kind of just for the person that's interested in learning more about lifting. And, you know, to a lot of the points that we've talked about today, um, gaining a more nuanced understanding of the how of many of these things, but more so, um, you know, just, I think it's been most useful for people that have taken the course or in the process of taking the course, um, because it, I kind of intended it to be like a fast track to eliminating all the other bullshit that you could potentially learn. And so much like, much like many other things, I think in life, it's much less about trying to, you know, this whole process of learning is less about trying to find the, uh, or, or less about trying to study more total things uh, or learn more total things as compared to just the things that are most helpful and most directly applicable, you know? So to, to the point about, you know, the earlier conversation on the joint structure and, uh, you know, planes of motion, the basic physics, like most people, if they just learn that section of the course would start to understand so many of the, the things now that currently maybe, um, you know, they're, they're having trouble conceptualizing. So, you know, my goals for the course were basically just to put people on a fast track to learning that stuff. And, you know, so if you, if you want to learn how to lift, 
you know, why you're lifting in certain ways, why certain things are doing certain things. You know, I plan on in the future making more courses that are more specific to certain people and topics, you know, so, you know, like a shoulder pain course or a you know, knee pain course, whatever it might be. Um, obviously those things can't be generalized. So it's going to be a lot of nuance potentially in that, but um, that's, you know, that's pretty much all I would say about that. Um, I think the people who would likely benefit the most are probably personal trainers. Um, but like I said, anyone who really has an investment in their, in their learning, uh, obviously doesn't have to be a personal trainer. So, um, yeah, that's, I would say that's pretty much it. The newsletter is just like, I just, whatever I'm writing about or where I'm thinking about really the same, uh, in terms of the content, I usually just, the, I use the newsletter as a way to figure out what I think about things because I think there's no, there's nothing really that does that better than talking to someone or writing down what you're thinking or what you yeah. think you're thinking. Cause most often, um, you know, trying to answer basic questions is and figuring out what you actually think about stuff is a very, is a very grueling, uh, uncomfortable, uh, tiring process. So that's kind of what I yeah. use the newsletter for. Um, uh, if I had to, if I had to summarize it, but that's pretty much it on, on the content side of things. Cool. And people can find you at your Instagram and find all that stuff there too. Right. Yeah, man. Link in bio, you know, the deal. Yeah. There we go. Link tree. Link tree, baby. Yeah. <laughs> um, cool. And, and, and just to add a little bit of something to that for anyone listening, um, you know, uh, whenever I have a client or, a consultation or anything like that, like a big thing that I like to talk about is with, with, you know, just general health and fitness, you know, it's, it's obviously there's an outcome that we're shooting for that they're shooting for, or you're shooting for or whatever. Um, so we're, that's where our targets are aimed, but at the same time, it's never like a, um, let's get here and then it's over sort of thing, you know? Mm. Um, it's, it's a, it's a, like, you know, how can we continue to do this stuff and feel good and, you know, be as pain-free as we can for as long as we can. And so for anyone that, you know, isn't a personal trainer, like I, I would still, you know, say that with your course, yes, there is maybe some stuff that's, you know, more nerdy, if you want to say that or in the weeds, but that information can help you make let's say better decisions long-term for your health and fitness. So, you know, getting to your outcome that you want, but also getting there with hopefully no pain for a long time. And, you know, if investing in a course and, you know, not necessarily having a, a time constraint of like, you got to go through this course in three months or whatever, like you can get Ben's course and go through it at your pace and take bits and pieces that you can actually go to the gym that day and apply and, you know, essentially help you feel good and still get to your outcome. So um, for those people that maybe are interested or want to kind of dive a little bit deeper into, um, you know, the whole biomechanic physic realm in order to make better decisions so you can continue to do the things you're doing for a long time, I'd highly recommend um, the Modern Meathead course. Um, Find it at Ben Yan's Instagram, <laughs> IG. Um, yeah, I think that's it, dude. 
we got to do man. another one because we could we could go on for a long time. It's probably the longest podcast I've done, to be honest. Oh, really? Okay. Well, that's exciting. <laughs> I'm honored. And, and thanks for having me on. I definitely love to come back and uh, always a good time to chat with you. Yeah, man. Thanks for taking the time. I got to get, um, I'll get connected with you and um, Ethan. Yes. I'd love, yeah. I'd love to hop on there and learn we gotta, something. We got to make that happen. So yeah, come, come up with your list of questions and uh, okay, we'll get on. We'll get on with Ken. I'll shoot you text. Okay. Sounds good. All right. Appreciate friends. you, man. It's been a pleasure. Have a, yeah. I always um, have a good uh, and safe fourth, man. All right, man. You as well. Good talking. Thanks. Yep. Talk soon. Peace, brother. Yeah.